0: business profit from a captive labour force yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life welcome to prison
1: it depends who's telling the story I suppose the prisoners would have one view the people who work in the prison system would have another and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is
2: Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick and check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR.
0: We are still fired up and we're still talking about
1: revolution. Slavery is back.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. It's approximately 4 01, and I've, we've got quite an action packed show happening today. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Melanie Poole, the Director of Engagement at the Federation of Community Legal Centres. We're going to be speaking with Melanie about some possible anti-democratic laws that the Andrews government is hoping to bring in. We're going to be speaking with her about government accountability and looking at some of the dire consequences that can occur when people's freedoms and civil liberties are eroded. After that, we'll speak with Beth from and she's actually from Melbourne Educators for Social and Environmental Justice or message, which is pronounced message, and we'll be speaking with her about a wonderful panel coming up um, full of um, wonderful Aboriginal elders, and they're going to be looking at education. After that, we'll speak with Anthony Kelly from Flemington-Kensington Community Legal Centre, and this will be a continuation of our discussion from last week about the demonisation of Africans and the fact that the Turnbull government and indeed um, all governments have been demonising Africans and saying that that gangs have been um, attacking people. So we'll look at that very soon. But first up, we will speak with Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Welcome to the program.
3: Hi there. Thank you.
2: It's lovely to have you, Melanie. Now, I'm wondering if you could just talk about the recent media release that was put out by a number of organisations, including um, the Human Rights Law Centre and the Federation of Community Legal Centres, and give us a little bit of background, perhaps. Sure. So
3: we put out the press release in relation to the anti-association laws that were introduced to the Victorian Parliament last week. Um, we were really, really concerned um, to see how wide... Uh, the, the very first day that the laws were reported on, we were pretty shocked to see how wide the scope of them was. Um, we knew that something like that might be in the works, um, but we were we were really, really worried to see that... Um, what the laws have actually done is um, is pretty extreme. They've introduced the concept of guilt by association into Victorian law, um, and they've taken... We already had existing laws around things like, you know, organised criminal networks, um, bikey gangs and so on, and those were already pretty uh, severe laws. Yeah. Um, what these have, have done is massively expanded police powers to a pretty unprecedented level, and they've introduced the idea that you could now be found guilty of being a criminal simply on the basis of who you're spending time with, um, regardless of anything that you've actually done.
2: That sounds pretty, pretty ominous, Melanie. And, and I believe that community groups from across Victoria, and including the Federation of Community Legal Centres, I should say, um, they're calling for the laws to be abandoned.
3: Uh, yes, yes. Um, that's correct. We uh, they've they have now gone through the lower house, um, so so the um, the pressure is is going to be on the upper house. Um, but we are still hoping that um, parliament will reconsider these laws. They've been rushed through without any consultation, um, and so we're just really trying to make clear to all parliamentarians and and others in civil society and unions and so on um, that um, we really need we, we really need to. Um, to stand up and speak out against these laws because they really do fundamentally erode um, civil liberties in Victoria.
2: Right. So basically this is just state at the moment, isn't it? It's not the whole... It's not federal.
3: It's not federal, um, but I think that what we can, you know... uh, It's bad enough for these these laws to happen in Victoria, but we can also assume that if we're seeing this kind of law and order race to the bottom here, and these are the types of laws that are coming out of it, um, then obviously we need to really be worried about um, what political parties in other states are going to take from that.
2: Before we launch into practical examples about the effects that this is going to have on on people. I just wanted to say to listeners that similar laws were actually introduced in New South Wales in 2016, weren't they?
3: They were, yes. Um, the, the laws in New South Wales um, have actually been reviewed by the Ombudsman there, um, and what the Ombudsman found was that 40% of all the notices were issued to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, that also really disproportionate numbers of notices were issued to people experiencing homelessness um, and people experiencing poverty, um, and that seven percent of them were issued to children, um, and and that uh, women and young girls were also particularly targeted. So about half of all the notices were issued to to women and girls. So there's no there's no sort of uncertainty about the types of um, you know marginalised groups who these Sorts of laws really disproportionately impact. Um, we've also seen similar laws introduced in Queensland and what happened there was we really saw how these laws sort of erode the fundamentals of um, uh, civil society and free speech um, because unions in Queensland started to be classified as criminal gangs <laughs> under these laws, which, I mean, sounds insane, but this is just a few years ago under Campbell Newman, um, so that's what started to
2: happen in queensland that's really disturbing uh, it, that and and indeed I think um the Newman government was defeated uh, after attempting to introduce those laws in two thousand and fifteen
3: that's
2: right yes thankfully yes so so basically those laws sought to expand the definition of gang and and you and as you said, unions would have been included. They were quite explicit about that. So just to update listeners, Melanie, and, and, and for clarification purposes, so the laws have actually been rushed into Victoria already? They're already in?
3: Yeah, that's right. So they were announced the day that they were introduced. When was there that? There no consultation um, last Tuesday.
2: That is crazy. I mean, w- what's the rationale for that, Melanie?
3: We can only assume that there is some something of a kind of um political panic um because of the sort of toxic, um, racist law and order narrative that the Libs have been driving for the last couple of years and it's really you know, we've really sort of commended um the Labour Party in Victoria for um kind of holding the line um and, and not being prepared to stoop um stoop to that level. Um, of populism and, and racism um, so um, so it was sort of a surprise to suddenly see laws like this announced, but we can only assume that that electoral pressure has sort of really intensified and um, and caused things like this to be rushed through without proper thought.
2: does that mean that there'd be a shoot to kill in the streets with protesters would that would that be part of it
3: i don't think that these laws go that far, but what it does mean for protesters or for union members on a picket line or, um, you know, um, perhaps environmental uh, activists and others is that um, uh, they could see themselves targeted because this is hugely widening the scope. It's beyond beyond actually organised criminal networks or even bikey gangs and so on. This is broadening the scope to say that you can be issued with a notice on the basis of associating with anyone that has a criminal record
2: so if you associate with anyone that's got a criminal record, that's guilty by association. Yes, that includes friends
3: yeah. yeah so I mean it it um, we can probably all think of people in our friends and family um certainly I you know I can um, who um, have records um, who's perhaps made a mistake in the past yeah. Um and so this is putting all Victorians in a situation where we actually have to second guess um our association with those people and, and wonder whether it's gonna land us in trouble or not because technically um it gives police the power to to order us not to consort with those people and, and that you face three years in prison if you breach that.
2: Three years in prison. And,
3: I, and this is this is without having actually done anything.
2: Yourself. Okay, so so the Do and Time show, for example, interviews people that have just got out of prison. Does that mean that that's that we'd be guilty of association and and the broadcaster could go to prison?
3: Yeah. So it's. I mean, that's another aspect of this that's, um that's quite um, potentially quite devastating. Is that it means that um, programs like yours, social services, and others, um, or just people in the community that might have an interest in making sure that those who've um, come out of prison are able to reconnect, Um, could even just be a local sports club or, you know, others that want to sort of make sure that um, people can access opportunities to participate in the community. Those people are going to have to, they're going to find themselves in a situation where they're having to kind of worry about whether that's going to land them in trouble. Um, And of course, that simply means, and, and we should also bear in mind that this, Um, the scope of this new legislation is so large that it actually includes children. So it's levelled at people from the age of 14. So how that could play out for a kid um, who's made a mistake, come back to school, is that they find that basically the other kids can't hang out with them, can't play soccer with them, can't, you know, do social activities with them because those kids would then be running the risk of being found um, guilty by association.
2: You know that that's crazy, Melanie. It's 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 pre, it's preposterous. It's preposterous. They are really
3: extreme laws. Yeah, and it's quite bizarre um, for a Labor government to put these laws in place. and We can only assume that because there has been such intense political pressure and they have rushed them that there just hasn't been proper thought about the devastating consequences that these laws will have. Particularly on already stigmatised and marginalised groups of people, and also on civil society and unions. Um, uh, so, um, you know, we're just really urging people to call their local MPs and um, and to do that quickly because we've got a tight time frame to to speak up against these laws, and we just have to do everything that we can.
2: What is the time frame, Melanie? Uh,
3: so we aren't sure of the <clears throat> upper house sort of council agenda yet, but. Um, it could be as soon as next week, um, and if not, it's likely to be the following week.
2: So it's really a witch hunt. This, this is a, a these laws are, are, are causing what will, will cause witch hunts in this country, witch hunts, and it's well and truly trumped. I mean, and and even before Trump, you've got the Patriot Act over in America, which in fact has a clause in that Patriot Act, which adheres to and looks at the guilty by association.
3: Yes, it is always really concerning when we see that the public narrative has moved so far to the right that even even the Labor Party is is um, deciding to introduce laws like these.
2: So, quoting directly from the media release, um, people should be free to have a barbecue, go to the movies, talk online, play football, or socialise with whoever they choose. And that was actually a quote um, that that was from yourself, Melanie. Mm. Yeah, so
3: that, that's, you know, yeah. that's what what um, that's what these laws are going to do is they're going to make us second-guess those activities. Um, and, you know, of course, there's also privacy issues that come up there because if you're expected to know the background of everyone that you might associate with, whether it's in the um, uh, soccer game or whether it's in your Rotary Club or your church or whatever it is, um, then... Um, that's actually quite intrusive into their, pri- their right to privacy. You know, people aren't expected to, once they've done their time in prison, to then have to go around um, for the rest of their lives telling everyone about it. You know, that's their their right to privacy. But in this situation, it's almost placing the onus on us as, as um, Victorians um, to be aware of the background of everyone who we might be associating with.
2: Absolutely. Melanie, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program and it, it really is extremely disturbing. I'm wondering if there's a website that listeners can access in order to, to find out how to contact the MPs or um, is there a contact at the Federation of Community Legal Centres where people can plug in? Uh,
3: we have... Um, people can visit our website, which is stlc.org.au. Um It's all moved so quickly and <laughs> we haven't actually... We haven't got a petition up on this issue yet, but we've got a petition up on um, the mandatory sentencing laws, which are also pretty diabolical and moving at a similar speed. Um, if people sign up to those, then they'll get our our updates, or you can sign up to volunteer.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much for for coming onto the program, no
3: Melanie, problem at all.
2: and hopefully we'll be back. You'll be back um, soon for future updates. For sure. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank Take you. Take care. Right. Bye bye. And that was uh, Melanie from from the Federation of Community Legal Centres, speaking about some very draconian and chilling laws, anti democratic laws that have come through. It's not just about being up; it's not just about anti democratic. It's more about, as well, the guilty by association clause. It's seventeen eighty eight all over again. And I know I was talking about America, but you can also go back through um, colonial history and looking at. Um, some of the demonisations that happened when um, this country was first colonised. It's approximately 4.16 and we're going to be listening shortly to a pre-recorded interview that was prepared by Peter. Peter's not here today. But let me give you just a brief intro first of all. We, um, Peter will be interviewing Beth from Melbourne Educators and so- of Social and Environmental Justice or MESSAGE. And MESSAGE is a broad network of educators working across various settings from early childhood to tertiary education, while the MESSAGE Organising Collective is mostly made up of teachers working in Victorian public schools who are active members of the Australian Education Union, AEU. And there's a, there's a panel actually um, happening in regards to the, lots of Aboriginal elders and and speaking about education and how important it is. Um, and I believe they'll also um, hopefully also be talking about um, incarceration as well. Now, we have had some te- technical difficulties, so I'm seriously hoping that we're going to be able to play this interview. So I'm just going to have a go right now.
0: Hello, Beth. Welcome to the program. Could you tell... Tell listeners about
2: yourself.
4: Uh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I'm, I'm part of a collective called Message, and that stands for Melbourne Educators for Social Environmental Justice. So, in the Message organising collective, we're all school teachers or training to be. Um, but we also facilitate a Facebook group and a website, and we host events that connect us to a wider community of educators and activists in Melbourne. Um, So because we're meeting um, in Melbourne, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the rightful sovereign owners of this land.
0: Um, Can you give some listeners um, a background about the panel that's um, happening soon?
4: Uh, Yes. Um, So this panel discussion is the second of three events that we've organised um, to help us better understand the mechanisms by which Indigenous students are being excluded from schools and how that relates to their overrepresentation in youth detention centres. Um, so the first event we had was a film night early this week um, and the final event is going to be an organising meeting to discuss what we've learnt and how to respond to this issue um, through our work as teachers but also beyond the school setting. So we're... In that sense, we're going to be looking to connect with others who are also campaigning around the issue of Indigenous youth incarceration, so groups like Shut Youth Prisons, um, Strong Grandmothers of the Central Desert Region. Um, So kind of the reason that we've taken an interest in this is because um, we know that Indigenous young people make up 53% of Australia's incarcerated youth population, yet they're only about 6% of the population of 10 to 17-year-olds in Australia. Um, and that statistic is similar in Victoria. Um, they're even smaller percentage of the population, but they still represent 16% of those incarcerated. So that makes them 12 times more likely to be locked up than non-Indigenous young people. And we also know that inside the detention centres there's horrible abuses going on. So Wednesday this week um, was... Two years since the Four Corners episode, where we saw Indigenous boys as young as 11 years old being tortured inside the Dondale Youth Detention Centre. So, we did a solidarity photo for people who were protesting against that in Alice Springs and um, drawing attention to the fact that there's been no justice for those young people.
0: Could you talk about some of the speakers and give a summary of, of what will be discussed?
4: Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, our moderator and our speakers for the panel are all Indigenous educators with experience working with Indigenous people inside youth detention centres um, and adult prisons as well, some of them. Um, so, our panelists, um, we have Brendan Murray, who's the former principal of Parkville College, and that's the government school for all the young people who are detained in custody within Victoria. So, there are various campuses of that school. Um, so, he spoke out publicly against the government's decision to try and move those young detainees at Parkville to an adult prison following the riots a couple of years ago, Um, and he's won a whole series of awards for his outstanding work in education. Um, We've also got Seth Nolan, who's got a background in education and family therapy, but he's now the Aboriginal Program Coordinator at Parkville College, so he facilitates all the cultural programs for Aboriginal young people in custody. And then um, our last panellist is Coral-Ann Polman, um, and she she kind of started but didn't finish her teacher training course and um, was pretty unimpressed with the quality of that program when it came to um, creating culturally safe places for Indigenous students. Um, so she's also worked as a youth justice worker inside youth detention centres, so working with Indigenous young people in that space. Um And our moderator, um, her name is Natalie Ironfield, and she's a prison abolitionist working at the moment as a researcher um, and educator within the University of Melbourne. And she's been involved with the coordination of a program to provide educational and cultural support for incarcerated Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men inside the Port Phillip prison. Um, And she's going to be highlighting the impact of incarceration on the health and well-being of Indigenous people, um, their families and their communities and really challenging all of us to consider alternatives to incarceration.
0: Could you please talk about the um, importance and challenges and gaps when we talk about education for Indigenous people?
4: Uh, Yeah sure, look um, I'm a non-Indigenous person myself so I can't really talk about the lived experience of Indigenous people with inside the education system. Um, I could tell you a bit of background about why As a teacher, I've taken an interest in this, um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more of those experiences from our panellists on the night. Um, But through research, um, we do know that the connection um, to education is a uh, a protective factor against incarceration. So if you're excluded from school, you become more likely um, to be set on this path towards becoming involved in the criminal justice system. And something really troubling that we've experienced as teachers, um, you know, myself and other people at Message, is this whole culture of, um, I guess, being pressured from year-level coordinators and principals to build up evidence against certain students to enable their expulsion um, if they're seen to be troublemakers and the school thinks that they're disrupting the learning of others. So we've also seen students pressured into leaving school early um, to prevent them from completing VCE. And that's about the scores that the schools get and the publication of those scores, um, which influences parent choice when they decide where they want to send their kids. Um, I mean, there's also, in terms of school exclusion, there's students who are being told they can't enrol in their local schools for all sorts of really bogus reasons. And we found that the students targeted by these practices of exclusion, they're predominantly from non-white backgrounds Um, So when we look at the stats of the Victorian youth prison population and see that nearly half of these incarcerated 11 to 17-year-olds are from Indigenous, African, Maori and Pacific Islander backgrounds, um, we want to understand how these two processes are connected um, and what we can do about this in terms of campaigning and changing policy um, at our schools and also um, addressing this issue of underfunding, which is often what's leaving schools feeling like they can't provide support for students who are having problems or you know, displaying yeah. really disruptive behaviour. Yep. Um, so in the US, there's a lot of talk of um, a school-to-prison pipeline, but this concept hasn't really been a major focus of academic study or public discussion or policy in Australia. Um, even though there are lots of people working to address these issues here, um, mm-hmm. it just hasn't really been something that's got a lot of media attention. Um, but, yeah, our particular focus on Indigenous students with these three events reflects, um, I guess, our recognition that colonisation has really set the scene for race relations in Australia. And by addressing this injustice, um, that provides a kind of foundation for improving conditions for people from other marginalised groups in Australia. And it also reflects the reality that Indigenous people are the most overrepresented group. Um, in both adult and youth prisons. And, yeah, that stat of 53% of the youth prisons, like, Australia-wide, that's really troubling and we need to address that specifically.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, uh, where would this um, event be held?
4: Um, well, the panel discussion is going to be held at the Arena Project Space, which is in Fitzroy to right. Kerr Street. Yeah. Um And it's 6.30 to 8.00 p.m. on Wednesday, the 8th of August. Um, However, we have had such a tremendous interest in this event. Um, We originally posted up on Facebook and, you know, sent out emails. But there were 1,000 people who said they were interested and over 200 saying they were going to come. And the space, you know, can hold probably about 100 people. Um, So we created this Eventbrite event and within less than 24 hours, all 100 tickets had been booked so now we've got a waiting list um, that you can kind of sign up to through the Eventbrite event. If you searched um, Indigenous youth incarceration and education panel discussion, yep. um, you'd you'd be able to find that and put yourself on the waiting list. But really what that shows us is that a lot of people are really concerned about this at the moment mm, and, that's true. yeah, and that there's momentum. So this isn't going to be the last event we hold like this. We're going to be still organizing around this issue we've got our organizing meeting where we're going to be planning follow-up so whether we have more discussions um you know an ongoing campaign like protest actions that's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about so if you want to stay in touch you can look us up um message.org is our website m-e-s-e-j.org um yeah otherwise just look us up on facebook and we have a group that you can join as well That's awesome. And there's so many other groups, you know, like I mentioned, who are doing work in this area.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, Do you have any final comments or?
4: Uh, Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think I've covered (laughs) it. And yeah, I just encourage people to look up information about this and and try and see what they can do in their context.
0: Okay. Thanks very much for being on the show. Um, Maybe we'll get you back um, after the yeah, up.
4: I'd love to do a feedback on where we're at after we've had all these events because even yeah. just from the film night it was so interesting. We had um, people who work at Marmesbury Detention Centre oh, show right. up and really? um, one of the women there was talking about how her relatives were mm-hmm. um, some of the people who were featured in the documentary we watched so she was able to put that all into context for us and um, it was really interesting. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot more that um, everyone's going to learn from the next couple of events and yeah we'll have a lot to talk about
0: yeah maybe we'll get some people from like indigenous people that you might know
4: or something like yeah that. that would be great i'd be happy to try and connect you to some of those people that we've you know been interviewing or part of the panel discussion or some of the new faces that have been turning up and we've been connecting with because yeah there's a lot of people who have
2: energy to do stuff around this
0: yeah okay um thanks very much we'll speak to you soon <laughs>
2: And you're back with the Doin' Time show and you just heard a song called um, Walk About Dreaming and, excuse my pronunciation here, but it's a wonderful Aboriginal band, Kuriwajed, I believe it's, um, the name of the band is, it's approximately 4.32 and you previously heard an interview with Beth about a panel coming up, a couple of events coming up in regards to education and incarceration. Beth was from Melbourne Educators for Social and Environmental Justice or Message. And we're going to be speaking now with Anthony Kelly from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. And just wanted to touch base with Anthony in regards to what is happening and why is it that Africans are being demonised, especially in regards to crime and... You know, a lot of scapegoating going on here and a, a lot of um, rhetoric about gangs in, in Melbourne in particular and Victoria. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me.
2: Great to have you. So, Anthony, I'm wondering... Look, we, we were talking last week with the Refugee Action Collective in regards to what's happening with asylum seekers and refugees and we connected up with Victoria and looked at um, the fact that There's a lot of scapegoating going on, isn't there? Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, Yeah, what we're seeing in Victoria over the past uh, almost three years now is uh, obviously an adaption of earlier uh, racialised demonisation templates against uh, other refugee and migrant groups. Uh, There was a shift uh, from a lot of the white supremacist rhetoric over the last few years from an anti-Islam uh, Islamophobic frame to an anti-immigrant, anti-crime frame. And uh, that was something that uh, we saw, we've seen in Victoria very specifically. Um, and, of course, there's earlier and earlier uh, templates for this sort of thing. Of course, lots of the um, the associations and demonisations we're seeing of um, the South Sudanese and African communities has been uh, replicated against the, you know, the Vietnamese, the Lebanese, and um, uh, Middle Eastern groups uh, for a long time. But long before that, of course, indigenous population communities across Australia were intensively demonised and excluded, and um, and made to be uh, made people to be uh, fearful of. And of course, there's even earlier um, antecedents for this sort of moral panic that go all the way back to the Middle Ages. Really, there's um, the the, uh, the witch burnings and the uh, Inquisition, and also the, the anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic pogroms throughout Europe were examples of this, where uh, social problems were um, were suddenly um, blamed upon uh, small groups or minority groups, and they were usually newly arrived or culturally or ethnically different in some way, and. That, become, that becomes, of course, a very convenient um, uh, dynamic, particularly for those that might be actually to blame for the dynamic, such as the economic or, cult- or cultural elite. So that if they're able to demonise and blame a minority and focus all their um, the target of um, anger and, and violence and exclusion, then that lets the uh, real corporates off the hook. And that's the sort of thing that we're seeing here, is that um, all these, these law and order panics are highly functional, uh, they're used by a whole range of people. It's this association that law and order crime populism has with the authoritarian right throughout the world. It was pioneered uh, under Reagan and Thatcher in the early 80s and it's, and it's also the growth of law and order election uh, populism has paralleled the growth of neoliberalism around the world. So it's a, definitely, as a, we're seeing, a strengthening of, of uh, state power And at the same time, we're seeing that um, um, demonisation of particular groups, whether it be young people, whether it be um, Muslims or Middle Eastern people, or in in our case right now in Victoria, African communities, and in particular the South Sudanese.
2: Well, thank you for for giving us that historical context, Anthony, because it's terribly important to reiterate here to listeners that history is repeating itself.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's incredibly important for activists to understand the dynamics of these sort of things, that uh, there are templates, and it's incredibly complex because we see the interaction of, um, you know, schlock media, tabloid, um, tabloid media seeking clicks and views and um, looking for stories that fit into a broader narrative that attracts readers. And, um, and also then we're seeing how those, that story is distorting people's perception of crime, leading to increased fear in the community, and um, a growth in um, and a more support for punitive responses such as deportation at the federal level. Under um, so on. they've they've skyrocketed since 2014. The growth of, the growth of um, Section 501 Migration Act um, deportations, and they've been specifically uh, now linked with youth crime issues in Victoria, and they're also seeing more punitive policies and increased. Police resources, powers, and uh, increase uh, um, um, the you know growth in basically youth, youth prisons and other and, um, yeah. and other things. So each of those are coming in as a as a symptom of this wider um, uh, narrative, uh, this racialised crime panic.
2: Absolutely, and and in fact. You're the indeed you're you're the chief executive officer at Flemken, aren't you, Anthony? At this stage, and yes, yes? and I think that it's safe to say that Flemken has is quite committed to um, eradicating racial profiling, and this is definitely connected, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, um, so racial profiling by police also is very old. It's to do with societal views of non-white populations it's always been policing has always been targeted against those that are, that are seen to be different and um uh, and the policing it tends to be targeted against those populations and it's more so and it's intensified when there is um, uh, heightened uh, focus and perspective on particular crime types and so the distortion in the media not, affects not only people out of, out of suburbs of Melbourne with their fears and perceptions of crime, but it also impacts upon um, the way police police on the beat and who they target and also who they're um, told to target by command or by, uh, or by the community. So a, a good example is I was in a, the Darabin police station uh, not so long ago, and a, um, a middle-aged white gentleman walked in to dutifully report um, to uh, some young people walking through the shopping centre. And he said, oh, they're big, they're tall, they're black, I don't know if they're Papua New Guinean or African, but you need to send a patrol car around because they're obviously up to no good. And uh, and I actually asked him, what, what have they done? Have they done anything? He said, no, no, but they're looking really suspicious. Yep. You need to send a patrol car around. And the police officer at the the front desk, you know, took down the details and said, yeah, okay, we'll send a car around. And so that example of, you know, citizens um, seeing um, people of colour with suspicion and then reporting them to police and all the various, um, you know, um, uh, impacts that that has on uh, increasing the risk of police contact.
2: It's pretty crazy, Anthony. And in fact, the reason why I invited you onto the show, and I'm going to be—it's no secret—I'm going to be very clear with listeners that it was quite a spontaneous phone call on my part because of the fact that I wanted to connect up the dots and actually speak with you about all this. Because previous to you, we <clears throat> we interviewed Melanie from the Federation of Community Legal Centres about the draconian anti-democratic laws that have just come through. And interestingly, one of the things that um, caused me to invite you on the show is that you're talking about the demonization of African gangs, but indeed an injury to one is an injury to all. And these laws are going to affect everybody, including unions, um, white people too, you know, that everybody is going to be affected now.
1: Yeah, that's true. There's certainly... Um,
2: I'm not trivialising uh, the, the racial yeah, stuff, but... Yeah, go
1: yeah, on. It's a, there's, there's communities that are racialized and criminalised, and they're, yeah. they're the communities that um, are Correct. most impacted by laws like this. But, of course, um, these sort of more punitive criminal justice... Responses do undermine basic freedoms and rights that we yeah, all precisely. require. Yeah. yeah, and they all they have much wider societal effects than just those impacted communities. Yeah, and um, but the the criminal justice system works in extraordinary is is racialised. It's discriminatory in yes. its operation thr- yeah. throughout the system, and it ends with uh, vastly um, you know overrepresentation in, within the. Um, prison system, um, but just having that prison system, that distortion, distortion effect means that there is less um, resources, human and financial and um, uh, public resources available for schools, for, um, for health and education yep. and all the sort of things that um, society requires. So the more we invest in um, punitive policies and policing and imprisonment the more we draw away from what community needs and ultimately the ir- irony of that is that um, safety depends upon reducing inequalities for making sure communities have got resources that they need and dealing with the, um, the social problems um, such as gender and violence that the criminal justice system and police just are incapable of responding to.
2: This is becoming a police state and one of the things is that we this guilty by association um, law is actually gonna prevent us from helping each other. It's going to prevent us, if we let it, from, from helping um, and, and trying to eradicate racial profiling.
1: Yeah, that's right. There, it, it, it does undermine um, the links and support links that young people yeah. most require, especially when they get out of custodial cent, um, settings. So um, it is problematic just on an individual basis. Um, And the other thing, I guess, of course, is that it can criminalise entire families and communities. So the um, the anti-gang provisions uh, that we've seen in other contexts, in the UK and in the US, um, and there's a whole range of them, uh, they can have extraordinarily... um, uh, long-term impacts. Once a young person is on a gang's list or a database, or is tagged with one of these control orders, then it's very difficult for them to um, be out of that system. The, the amount of surveillance and scrutiny that they are under uh, is just extraordinary, and it's, on, and it's ongoing. Uh, these these new laws, supposedly under the Labor government, have a 12-month limit. Um, Do they? but uh that can be for for young people for uh, for under 18 year olds yeah. otherwise it's 3 years but uh that can be rolled over and it can also it's also likely that they're um, res- you know receiving these control orders would stay on their permanent police record even if it's not a it's not under a control order it will be listed there and so essentially forevermore, they will be um listed as a associate gang associate or or whatever the case may be
2: so um, it can have uh, far-reaching yeah, consequences.
1: Yeah, far-reaching, long-term uh, impacts.
2: Absolutely, and in fact, uh, you know, there's all this rhetoric as well about you know frightened to be going out to dinner because of the the, the the so-called African gangs.
1: Yeah. So the so when the political class try and score political points like that, they try and come up with you know quiffy little um, anecdotes or comments that. Um, try and cut through, and the, when these when the federal politicians comment on this because it's seen to be a state matter, um, uh, it just really feeds the net, feeds the narrative. So that one was easily ridiculed, and people were able to respond to it in a way that um, you know made it quite funny. People going out to dinner, um, uh, but the um, the comments do that do serve to uh, extend it beyond, to extend it into the media, into yeah. the commentary but they also um, uh, really successfully demonise a whole community. Any sort of association between a um, criminal behaviour and an entire ethnicity, an entire group is just it, racism pure and simple. It needs to be understood. So what we're seeing is federal politicians um, deliberately using race in, in a political context to um to to curry favor with particular constituents who are most likely most susceptible to that and that's the you know that obviously that constituency of people who are fearful and also um have um you know s- are somewhere along the spectrum of being racist uh will um you know, will listen to so it's extraordinarily concerning that that um politicians are using it in this particular way.
2: It really is despicable and, and one of one of the concerns is that because, you know, the more an economy goes down, the more the rise of fascism happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah, it's a bit crazy. Anthony, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming onto the program. Uh, pretty heavy stuff, isn't it, but it's got to be talked about.
1: Yeah, look, the impacts on communities are really severe. Um, at the moment, and we, a lot of us, of course were highly aware of the um, of the harms that uh, we could see and feel during the same sex marriage survey and we 're seeing um, really similar, if not far worse impacts right right now against um, members of our communities.
2: thanks so much anthony um keep keep up the good work thanks so much you too. take thanks care. You and that was Anthony Kelly, Chief Executive Officer of the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre, speaking about speaking about the demonisation of segments of the community and looking at things um, in in a historical context as well.
1: As Prime Minister of Australia, I am sorry.
4: Coming live to you from I'm the sorry. Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. Sorry. And here comes Gilla. How you going Gilla? How's it going,
3: Gap? How's it going? Uh, all you listeners down Melbourne and you're missing a great time up here and uh, a
4: great day.
0: Now you fail to imagine what if it happened to you. subscribe
4: to your award-winning independent community radio station bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call nine four one nine eight three double seven
0: 8377 and subscribe today.
4: I feel hopeful, I feel grateful, I feel sorry.
3: As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries.
4: People out there in the radio world, show some love to the 3CR. You know, and if you're listening and enjoying the programs, here yeah, man, great radio station. It is how how it was built by community and the community ownership, and that's a powerful thing to have within community. So show some love, show some support, and please subscribe. From the
0: north to the south to the east to the west.
1: Let the bullet take you home. Island style represent it's your soul to the flow. Love your set, represent. Raise your pride to the sky. Love it like it's the best. My power, bring, bring it back home. Love will not negotiate with my native title government or anyone on on our culture, on, on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scungy dollars.
0: Subscribe to 3CR so
4: that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.
0: For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually
2: have the right to do that, that
0: nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded, I think we've just got to admit that this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it.
4: 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians.
1: They mean to save our culture and save our Dream is our footprint, dream is our song line and keep our culture going strong. Of
3: course a lot of the Aboriginals having been stolen were put into state care and also others.
1: Recognition were. of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome
3: to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day.
0: 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shore.
3: Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on
2: or visit 3cr.org.au Subscribe now. And you're back with the doing Time show. It's approximately 4.54 and we're nearing the end of our show. We've got Beyond Zero up next. And yeah, you just heard a, a couple of announcements and before that yeah, thank you very much to all our guests that participated in the show today. Thank you first of all to Melanie Poole from Victoria from the Federation <clears throat> of Community Legal Centres and also after that thank you to Beth for coming onto the show and speaking about the panel of elders and other interested people that are coming on to talk about education and incarceration um, and so thank you to her and thanks to Peter for pre-recording that that interview and last but not least thanks to Anthony from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Center um, and he spoke about African ga- gangs and the the demonization of uh, and continued the discussion um, that where Melanie left off in regards to anti-democratic laws and if you're interested and or you've missed out on most of the show you can actually access podcasts um, on 3CR website www.3cr.org.au, and yeah, it's approximately 4:56. We've got about one minute left before we're out of here. Um, thanks to Rob for producing, and um, we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, "Black Fella, White Fella" from the Rumpy Band, and we've got Beyond Zero up next. And stay tuned every Monday from four to five for the doing time show and and also just a quick reminder that it's um it's not too late to donate um yes we've had our radiothon and uh we may not have met our target just yet and and if people have paid have paid thank you very much for pledging and donating to the 3cr radiothon and if not, if people haven't paid, if if they could do so, that that would be lovely. So thank you very much, and we'll see you uh, next Monday.